pray with me? Father, you are everything that we need. Now in this moment, as we come to your word, Father, speak to us through your Holy Spirit. Father, do whatever it is in us that you want to do. Father, we thank you for the truth of your word. Thank you that we can always trust that is good and right and true. Father, we can base our lives upon it. I pray that we would do that in this moment. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Sing. Now I know, let's just be honest, some of you are not very excited about a sermon series titled Sing. And that's okay. Uh, maybe you're sitting there thinking, well, music just isn't my thing. Maybe it's yours, Pastor, but uh, it's not my thing. So can we just kind of get this series over with pretty quickly? Um, I get that. I get that. It's not always my thing. Um, and, uh, and, and, and sometimes I, I make a joyful noise that's somewhat pleasing, and sometimes it's a joyful noise that isn't very pleasing uh, to the ear, that is. Um, but this, this series that we're fixing to embark on for the next few weeks, um, it's not for the musically talented. It is, but not only for the musically talented. As we consider this thing called singing, this is something that applies to every single person who desires to live for the glory of God. If you're here today and you desire to live your life for the glory of God, God has saved you from your sin and has made you new inside and now you desire to live your life for God's glory, this is for you. Say, so why is that? Well, I don't know if you knew this or not, but... We are commanded to sing in the Bible. God's word commands us to sing. And so if I'm a person that has been rescued from my sin and now has a desire to live for God's glory, that means I'm going to want to obey the things that God calls me to in his word. One of the many things that he calls us to is singing. And what's interesting is it's not just a passing reference, not just uh, a command that we have to dig around somewhere and, and find and pull out this one little command to sing. In fact, there are over 400 references to singing in God's Word. At least 50 times we are commanded in God's Word to sing. It is something that is important to God and therefore it ought to be something that is important to us. Now, we're going to talk about singing God's glory. Over the next few weeks. And that's exactly what we should do. Our singing should be for the glory of God. That means it ought to declare how good and awesome and beautiful and marvelous and unlike us, God is. That's what it means that God is glorious. He is not like us. I am not worthy of glory. God alone is. And our singing ought to reflect that. But it does that, and we sing in several different spheres of life. And, to, and today I want to begin with this sphere, and it is somewhat self-focused, but remember we're singing God's glory. And so today we want to talk about this, singing God's glory to yourself. Sing God's glory to yourself. Now here's what I don't mean by that. I don't mean try to steal God's glory and sing what should be sung to God to yourself. That's not what I mean. I mean sing God's glory Make sure as you sing, you are singing it in a way that is reminding you of God's glory. Sing God's glory to yourself. We're going to look at Psalm chapter 92. And as we do, as we look at Psalm 92, we'll see that God's character and his works 
prompts us to daily sing his praises. God's character and God's works prompts us. It moves us to daily sing God's praises. Now, as we turn to Psalm chapter 92, we are in the book of Psalms. Psalm is a song. This is a collection of poetry, a collection of psalms, many written by King David. He didn't write all of them. He's probably the most well-known psalm writer. But these are a collection of songs, and these are songs that, that run the gamut of emotions. Songs are full of emotions. We find songs in here sung by people who are, who are filled with joy and gladness and happiness. We find songs in the book of Psalms that are sung by, by people that are in the midst of difficult circumstances where it seems that all hope is lost. We find uh, psalms that are sung by people in the midst of dangerous circumstances. We find psalms that are sung by people who are in a, in, a, in a place of just questioning in their lives where they're not really sure what is going on. I love the book of Psalms, Psalm chapter 92. Sing God's glory to yourself. Let's read God's word together. You follow along in your copy of God's word as I read. It is good to give thanks to the Lord, to sing praises to your name, O Most High. To declare your steadfast love in the morning and your faithfulness by night. To the music of the lute and the harp. To the melody of the lyre. For you, O Lord, have made me glad by your work. At the works of your hands I sing for joy. How great are your works, O Lord. Your thoughts are very deep. The stupid man cannot know. The fool cannot understand this. That though the wicked sprout like grass and all evildoers flourish, they are doomed to destruction forever. But you, O Lord, are on high forever. For behold, your enemies, O Lord, for behold, your enemies shall perish. All evildoers shall be scattered. But you have exalted my horn like that of the wild ox. You have poured over me fresh oil. My eyes have seen the downfall of my enemies. My ears have heard the doom of my evil assailants. The righteous flourish like the palm tree and grow like a cedar in Lebanon. They are planted in the house of the Lord. They flourish in the courts of our God. They still bear fruit in old age. They are ever full of sap and green to declare that the Lord is upright. He is my rock and there is no unrighteousness in him. Three things that I want us to see from this passage today. The first is this. Singing praises to God should be a part of of your daily life. Singing praises to God should be a part of your daily life. Several times in here we are commanded to sing. We are told to sing in verse 1. To sing praises to your name. In verse 4. The works of your hands I sing for joy. We ought to be singing praises to God each and every day. When you sing. I want you to know this. Sometimes we don't think about this, but when you sing, you are doing something that God thinks is good. You are doing something good. When you sing, God is pleased. Now, as we'll talk about, the content of what you sing does matter. We want to be singing right truths about God. But when you sing, you are doing something good. Oftentimes in life, we say, what does God want of me? Like, what, how can I please God today? I mean, it's, it's my normal day, routine. i got to get up and get dressed and, and, uh, and maybe get the kids to school or, or, or get to work or, 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 or get to the grocery store and, and buy my groceries today or, or whatever is on your, on your to-do list for the day. And it's, it's becomes just this mundane kind of routineness of life. You say, well, how can I honor God today? 
How is today? How, how can I give him praise? How can he look at me today and say, what you're doing is good? Well, one of the things that we can do and we can rest assured that if we do it, God looks at us and says, that is good. I am pleased with that is when we sing praises to him. I don't know about you, but I learned from a young age that brushing my teeth was good. It was a good thing to do. And so because it was a good thing to do. I decided that it would be a good thing for me to discipline myself to brush my teeth every day, sometimes multiple times a day. I'll be honest. I'm kind of crazy about brushing my teeth. I brush my teeth a lot. Um, and I don't know why, but I just do. And, and so it's a good thing. And so I do it. We we should want to do things that are good. Don't miss over just the simple statement. It is good to give thanks to the Lord, to sing praises to your name. Oh, most high. Sometimes I fear that when we sing, we we may wonder and may not even think that we're doing anything that matters. But when we sing praises to God, we are bringing glory and honor to God. And that's something that we can do every single day. If something is good, why wouldn't we want it to be a part of our daily lives? There are some things that are good in life that it's that God is pleased with that it's it's hard to do every single day. You know, it's good to uh, to. Share the gospel with people who've never heard the name of Christ before. That's hard for us to do every single day. We live in an area where many people have heard of Jesus. They may not all be saved, but many people have heard of Jesus. It would be hard for us to do that good thing every single day of our lives in the context in which we live. But when there is something that God says is good, and it's something really easy to do, and we could do it every single day, why wouldn't we want to do that? Notice what the psalmist says. To declare your steadfast love in the morning and your faithfulness by night. He's even saying multiple times a day. I'm going to wake up and I'm going to sing a song of praise to your name. And I'm going to, before I go to bed at night, I'm going to sing a song of praise to your name. All day, every day should be filled with singing praises to God. Now, of course, there are some appropriate times to sing and some times it might not be quite as appropriate to sing, depending on who's around you and what your task is um, during, during that particular moment of the day. But you see the point, singing constantly. When you sing, you're doing something God says is good. But also when you sing, you are declaring you are to declare God's character. When you sing, declare God's character. Really, we could break down what what we are to sing about God in two parts. The first is his character. It's always good to sing. It's always good to sing about the character of God. And we see that in verse two to declare your steadfast love in the morning and your faithfulness by night. Just two examples of of things that describe the character of God. His steadfast love is one of those things. His faithfulness is another part of his character. I could ask the question, uh, what, how would you describe the character of God? How does God's word describe God to us? And we can make a whole list of things that describe God's character. Think for just a moment. Try to make a list in your mind. God is blank. Write some things down in your mind real quick. God is blank. Maybe things like holy, things like righteous, things like love, things like perfect, things like almighty, all-powerful, all-knowing, all-present. Things like good, things like merciful and gracious. Those are things that are the character of God. And we ought to declare those things when we praise him. How do we know about who God is? How do, how do we know? If you went to someone and said, 
Can I tell you about God? And they said, yes. And you said, God is perfect in all of his ways. He is righteous and he is true. He is steadfast in love and he is faithful. He is full of love and grace and mercy. And they said, how do you know that? What would your answer be? That's right. The Bible, God's word. We know about God because he has told us about himself. And we can never go wrong. Saying this certain word describes God when God has told us that word describes him. Right. We can never go wrong when we repeat back to God what God has already told us about himself. The way we know about God and therefore the way we know how to worship and sing to him is from his word. You can't sing truths about God unless you have learned truths about God. Worship is a response to his revelation, his revelation of himself to us. You can't sing what is good and right and true about who God is unless you have learned those things. How do we learn those things? By spending time in his word. By reading for ourselves, by being taught the word by others. It is God's word that leads us to sing right things about him. But here's the thing. When you learn truths about God, you can't help but sing them back to God. As I consider the steadfast love of God. The fact that God has loved me so much that even in my sin, he has pursued me. He has not cast me aside, but he has continued to love me even as I have rebelled against him. Romans 5 eight says, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And so in my sin, God has pursued me with his son, sending his son to rescue me from my sin by dying on a cross where I should have died, dying the death. I should have died, taking on the wrath that I deserve. And then saving me and continuing to love me. And even now, even daily, as my heart wanders from him, his love draws me back to him. That's the steadfast love of God. When I take the time to stop and think about how much God loves me, I can't help but want to sing his love back to him. I can't help but want to say, God, you are amazing in your love. And even to sing that, consider the grace of God. It makes me want to just sing amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now is found, was blind, but now I see. When I think about the mercy of God to sing that song that we opened our service with today, that though my sins are many, his mercy is more. You can't sing truths about God unless you've learned truths about God. But when you learn truths about God, you can't help but sing them back to God. Worship is not simply a response to revelation. Worship is the right response to God's revelation of himself to us. But when you sing, which is good, we not only sing God's character, but we are to declare, we are to sing his works. When you sing, remember God's works. When you sing, remember God's works. You see, it's not just that God is these things. It's that those things that God is, his love, his righteousness, his mercy, is displayed in his actions Towards you and me. And so the psalmist goes on and after verse two, he says to declare your steadfast love in the morning and your faithfulness by night to the music of the lute and the harp, to the melody of the lyre. These are instruments that they would have used back when this was written. Verse four, for you, O Lord, have made me glad by your work at the works of your hands. I sing for joy. So it's not just who God is that is leading the psalmist to sing for him. It's what God has done. And so when you sing, declare who he is and declare what 
He has done. What has God done? He provides for us, doesn't He? He is a God who provides so faithfully. He's a God who gives salvation. He's a God who saves. He has worked salvation for you and for me. He's a God who comforts. Anyone ever experienced the comfort of God in a trying season of life? And you know and you've experienced that peace and that comfort that comes with knowing God. He's a God who works comfort in our lives. Anyone ever experienced growth as a Christian? You say, wow, wow. Look at my life today compared to where I was five years ago or ten years ago. And, and I just see that God has brought me so far in my knowledge of who He is and in my obedience to His Word. That's God's work in your life. God is always working for us on our behalf. And God's works make us glad and joyful. And so when we sing, we sing knowing that it is a good thing. It gives praise to God. And as we sing, we declare God's character to Him. And as we sing, we remember His works towards us. But you know, often when we think about singing, especially songs of praise, songs of joy, songs of gladness and joy in our hearts, sometimes that's not always easy. There are many reasons for that. But one of the reasons that sometimes we find it difficult to sing with gladness, and maybe, maybe even as we read verse 4 today, you're thinking this. You say, but when I look at the world around me, maybe you don't have to look too far, maybe even in your own life. When I see the news, when I see wickedness running rampant, when I see a lack of justice in our world, when I see the wicked flourishing, and it seems that the righteous are just being persecuted, what reason do I have to sing with joy and gladness? I don't know if you ever thought that before. I don't know if you, if you, if you have ever, ever asked that question. But it's a good question. And I think it's a question that the psalmist addresses in the rest of this psalm. I mentioned at the beginning of this message that some of the psalms are just questioning songs. Well, you could turn back to even Psalm chapter 73, for instance. You see, he was wrestling with who God is, but it being answered in the fact that God is who he says he is. And that doesn't change with the changing circumstances of life. In fact, the one characteristic of God that highlights this entire psalm, we find down in verse 15. Skip down to verse 15 for a moment. Then I'm going to give you the second truth today. It says to declare that the Lord is upright. He is my rock and there is no unrighteousness in him. We go to the end of this song and we see where this song is leading to. It is leading to the truth. It is leading to the fact that there is no unrighteousness in God. That means everything about God is good and right and just and perfect and true. Sometimes it doesn't look like that when we look at the world around us. Truth number two, God's righteousness means that there is always reason to sing praises to him. God's righteousness means that there is always reason to sing praises to him. And we see that in the rest of this psalm, verses 5 through 15. Now we're going to break this up into three sections. Uh, they may even be broken up into these sections in your copy of God's Word, verses 5 through 9, 10 through 11, and 12 through 15. And I want to give you a statement about each one of those three sections. 
Beginning with verses 5 through 9, God's righteous character is displayed in his sovereign work of eternal destruction. God's righteous character is displayed in his sovereign work of eternal destruction. Now, as you think about God being righteous and you say, where can I see that? How, how does that look? God is righteous. That's his character. What does that look like in real life? Three ways the psalmist gives us. And the first is through his sovereign work of eternal destruction. Notice verse 5. How great are your works, O Lord. Your thoughts are very deep. Notice that. He says, great are your works, O Lord. Your thoughts are very deep. He's saying, what's happening behind your works, the why of why you're doing what you're doing, God, is very deep. It's not something that we can just Look at lightly and understand what God is doing in this world. In fact, he goes on and says, the stupid man cannot know, the fool cannot understand this. Now, before before any of you get discouraged, thinking, oh man, I'm not going to be able to understand this because I feel kind of stupid sometimes. I feel kind of stupid sometimes, okay? Well, I'm not very smart, I'm not very intelligent. He's not talking about your level of intelligence. He's talking about whether you look at things from God's perspective or not from God's perspective. The psalmist says, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. The definition of a fool, of the stupid person here, the stupid man, the fool, is not what kind of grades this person makes in school. It's whether or not he acknowledges the existence and the holiness and the supremacy of the God of the Bible. If you deny the existence of God, Scripture says you're a fool. But if you understand that God is real and He is who He says He is in His Word and you seek to look at life from His perspective, you are not the stupid man. You are not the fool. God has filled you with His Holy Spirit. You can understand this. So what is it that the world can't understand but that we as believers can and should understand. Verse 7, here's the predicament, here's the problem. That though the wicked sprout like grass and all evildoers flourish, stop right there. That's the problem. The psalmist is saying, when I look at the world I live in, when I look at the world that we live in, I see those who are wicked flourishing. I see those who are living against God. They seem to be doing well. I mean, they seem to have the money. They seem to have the fame. Things seem to be going well for them. What, what, what is this? How can I sing for joy in a world where it seems that the wicked flourish? He doesn't deny that the wicked do flourish, but notice that their flourishing is limited. There's a time limit on it. That though the wicked sprout like grass and all evildoers flourish, they are doomed to destruction forever. But you, O Lord, are on high forever. Speaking of his sovereignty, that he is on high, that he is in control. Verse 9, for behold your enemies, O Lord, for behold your enemies shall perish. All evildoers shall be scattered. You see, in God's sovereign knowledge. He allows a temporary flourishing of evildoers. But that temporary flourishing is leading them to forever destruction. 
God is righteous. Even when it looks that maybe he is not just, he is. And all wickedness will be destroyed. One writer said it this way, Only unspiritual men fail to perceive that the prosperity of the wicked is but the prelude to their ruin, while Jehovah sits enthroned on high forever. Here's what the psalmist is calling us to look at and consider in verses 5 through 9. That God's righteousness is on display in the fact that the flourishing of the wicked is temporary, but they will be one day destroyed. God's righteous character is displayed in the sovereign work of eternal destruction. And we ought to be thankful for that. We ought to love righteousness. We ought to love justice. We hate wickedness. And so it is good that even though the wickedness that we see seems to go unpunished so often, it will not go unpunished forever. The second thing we see in verses 10 through 11 about God's righteousness is this. God's righteous character is displayed in his sovereign work of present preservation. Not only in his eternal destruction of all that is wicked, but in his present preservation. Right now, we're living in this world. We live in this world where it seems that evil is flourishing. And it's so difficult. Sometimes, sometimes it crouches in on our lives. It creeps in. And, 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 and if we're not careful, we can be led to go the way of the wicked because it seems that that is the easier way, that that is the funner way, that's the better way. And in those moments where we are called by His Word to stand strong in our faith, to stand strong in following Him, we need Him to help us. We need Him to preserve us in the midst of this world in which we live. Verse 10 and 11, But you have exalted my horn like that of the wild ox. You have poured over me fresh oil. A horn was a symbol of strength. You have exalted my strength. You have lifted up my strength like that of the wild ox. You have poured over me fresh oil. This, this imagery is meant to, to be an imagery of refreshment. You have refreshed me. You have strengthened me. God strengthens and refreshes. But verse 11, he destroys the enemies. My eyes have seen the downfall of my enemies. My ears have heard the doom of my evil assailants. Who are your enemies? Who are my enemies? For the same enemies that we found back in verse 9. They're the enemies of the Lord. If you belong to God today, if you have repented of your sins and trusted in Christ and you are a friend of God, instead of an enemy of him, you are his friend. That means your enemies are his enemies. His enemies are your enemies and he will take care of them. And this is good. In fact, in the book of Revelation, we see God destroying the enemy. And we find these words. Rejoice over her, O heaven, and you saints and apostles and prophets, for God has given judgment for you against her. There's a sense in which we rejoice at the destruction of all that is opposed to God. Because that is evidence of God's righteous, sovereign character. So God's righteous character is displayed in His sovereign work of eternal destruction, in His sovereign work of present preservation. But finally, God's righteous character is displayed in His sovereign work of eternal flourishing. Of eternal flourishing. I love the comparison that we see here in this passage. Remember what He said back in verse 7. 
that though the wicked sprout like grass and all evildoers flourish. So we look around us and we see evildoers flourishing. But they're compared to grass. We get down to the last stanza of this song. And we have some information about the righteous. And it says that the righteous flourish. Well, that sounds like there's no difference between the evildoer and the righteous. The evildoer flourishes. The righteous flourishes. But notice the imagery. The evildoer flourishes like the grass. The righteous flourishes like what? The palm tree and the cedar of Lebanon. How long does the blade of grass last? Not very long. How long does the palm tree and the cedar of Lebanon last? A long time. In fact, as I was reading and thinking through the psalm and, 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 and getting ready for uh, this message today, I came across this uh, piece of information just talking about trees, talking about palm trees. And, and um, it was talking about a, a palm tree that was 200 years old and 90 feet tall. Compare that to a blade of grass. This is an actual tree, one imaginary tree. I guess I should have said that. A real palm tree that was 200 years old, 90 feet tall. Compare that to a blade of grass. Which is the lasting flourishing? Well, it's that of the righteous. The righteous flourish like the palm tree and grow like a cedar in Lebanon. The tree versus grass helps us know how eternal this flourishing is. Notice verse 13. The communion we experience with the Lord. They are planted in the house of the Lord. They flourish in the courts of our God. Notice verse 14. The lasting life. They still bear fruit in old age. They are ever full of sap and green. It's not just that they're in existence, but they look pretty rough. They are full of life. And they are full of life forever and ever and ever. Why are they full of this life? For the purpose, verse 15, for the purpose of declaring God's glory by declaring His righteousness. To declare. They are flourishing. The righteous are flourishing forever and ever. Why? For the purpose of declaring that the Lord is upright. That He is my rock. And there is no unrighteousness in Him. It harkens back to a passage in Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 4, where in the song of Moses, Moses sings this, The rock, his work is perfect, for all his ways are justice, a God of faithfulness and without iniquity, just and upright is he. He is just, he is upright. In the end, God's foes will fall while his friends will flourish. But here's the problem. When I read this psalm, and I say, yes, God, thank you that you destroy the wicked. Thank you that you make the righteous flourish. But where am I? Left to myself. I'm on the side of the wicked. I'm a foe of God. I'm not a friend. I sin against Him. I rebel against Him. I'm not perfectly righteous. In fact, Scripture describes my self-made righteousness as filthy rags in God's sight. So what do I deserve? And what do you deserve? You deserve to be destroyed with the wicked. You say, I thought this was supposed to leave us wanting to sing praises to God. Has it filled my heart with joy and gladness? But there's one. There is one who is righteous. There is one who is in close communion with God. There is one who, because of his righteousness, though he died, 
He lives forever and ever and ever. His life is full and will never fade away. And His name is Jesus. He is the one who is like the palm tree, like the cedar. He is the one who has perfect fellowship with God, planted in the house of the Lord, flourishing in the courts of our God. He is the one who bears ultimate fruit forever and ever and ever. His name is Jesus. And you and I have the privilege of sharing in His righteousness so that instead of being counted with the wicked, we get to be counted with the righteous. Not because of who we are or what we have done, but you ready? You ready? Because of who God is and what He has done, and therefore it is our joy to daily sing praises of glory and honor to the one who has done everything necessary so that we can be like the righteous. So that we can be the righteous because of our union with the righteous one, Jesus Christ our Lord. What should we sing about? We sing about God. We sing truth about God. When should we sing? All the time. Sing in the shower. I don't care what other people say. <laughs> sing while you're driving down the road. Sing while you go about your daily activities. Sing God's glory. What makes obeying the command to sing sometimes difficult? Well, if I can give you just two very practical answers to that question. It's difficult to sing songs that glorify God when you're not taking the time to learn about God. It's difficult to sing songs that glorify God when you don't take the time to learn about God. Get in His Word and just let your heart overflow with praise to Him. Second answer to that question, it's difficult to sing songs that glorify God when you're listening to songs that glorify man. It's difficult to sing songs that glorify God when you're listening to songs that glorify man. One of the steps in singing God's glory to yourself is making sure that you are listening to songs that sing God's glory. But let me get back to that question I asked earlier. Sometimes when we look at life, isn't it hard to have joy and gladness? Say, but pastor, there's nothing about my current circumstances that makes me glad and joyful. Say, when I look at this world around me, when I see the wickedness, when I see injustice, what reason do I have to sing with joy and gladness? Ask for God's perspective on your circumstances. Ask God to let you in on His deep thoughts. We read about verse 5. Ask God to remind you of His sovereign righteousness. Ask God to help you imitate the example of two men. Their names were Paul and Silas. You remember about Paul and Silas? Acts chapter 16. You remember that story? They were having the best day of their life. Everything was going their way, right? Not hardly. They were trying to serve the Lord and you know what they got for it? They got beaten and thrown into jail. That's what happened to Paul and Silas in Philippi. 
They were trying to do what God wanted them to do in a world that's full of wickedness and they were beaten for it and they were thrown into jail. What would you do in that circumstance? What would I do in that circumstance? Probably not sing songs of praise to God, but do you know what they did? Scripture says that there in the prison, they sang hymns of praise to God. What had they learned? They had learned that God is sovereign and righteous. That means he's always in control and we can always trust that what he's doing is good and right and true. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that something that ought to fill our hearts with praise? You know what happened as they're in the shackles, probably bleeding and bruised. They lift up their voices in songs of praise. They have learned that one of the things that would get them through the difficult times of life, which we all face, was singing truths about who God is and about what he has done in our lives. They have learned that in the difficult times of life, one of the things that gets us through is singing songs that declare who God is and what he has done, because no matter our changing circumstances, those things never change. You say, Pastor, I look at my life and I don't see anything that would make me glad and joyful. And let me say this. Our singing is not based on our ever changing, changing circumstances, but on God's never changing character. Our singing is not based on, on our ever changing circumstances, but on God's never changing character. And it is in moments of heartache and despair, which we will all face, where evil seems to be winning. When a daily habit of singing God's glories, singing the glories of God's sovereign righteousness to ourselves, will provide us with the truth about God, the attitude toward God that is necessary to sustain us and strengthen us and see us through to the end. I don't know anything more practical in life than that. God's character and His work prompts us to daily sing His praises. So Christian, will you join me in committing ourselves to daily sing God's glory to yourself? Let's pray. Father, we love You. Thank You for who You are and for what You've done. Father, no matter what we're going through in life, we have reason to sing praises to you. Lord, as we sing, we're reminded that you are good and you are in control. You are sovereign and you are righteous. That the wicked will be destroyed. That you preserve us in the meantime. And one day, if we are found in Christ, the righteous one, we will flourish for all of eternity. We praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.